Thank you for tuning into the Apostolic Pentecostal Church podcast. You are currently listening to one of our iGrow series lessons. If you're in the Bloomington, Illinois area and want to sit in person, feel free to join us Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. for Bible study and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for worship in the Word. Can't make it in person? No big deal. Find us on YouTube, Facebook, or Instagram and search Apostolic Pentecostal Church. Either way, we'd love to fellowship and worship with you. We hope to see you. Talking about the books of, book of Acts, we got through the fourth verse, fifth verse last week, and we're going to try to get through all 28 chapters. So we have to pick up the pace in order to make it through 28 chapters and 31 verses. I uh, don't know if we'll get there or not, but um, tonight I, my goal is to get at least through Acts 2. I think it'll go faster after that, but, but this is... And I talked about this quite a bit last week. It's the final piece. The Old Testament is this huge puzzle that's been put together piece by piece, but it was missing something. And Acts is that final piece that makes this whole thing make sense. I'm going to just real quick, Acts chapter 2 was our key verses. Uh, Acts was written by Luke. Concludes his writing in around 60 AD. So for, for the two of you that weren't here, this, this was eye-opening to me. And probably bears reiterating. Oh, my wife is three of you. Uh, so this bears reiterating. The Book of Acts had it, it's a sprint in a span of thirty years, and, and you have that one handout with the blue and the yellow. It's it's a thirty year span, and, and what I just never pieced together was all the books that Paul wrote. He wrote during that span because he died at the end of. He doesn't die in the Book of Acts, but he dies right after. The book of Acts is written. So during that 30-year span, Paul writes all of these epistles that we know as the Paulinian epistles, uh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all those, all written by Paul during that time span. The book concludes around 60 AD. Uh, I saw you take, Kevin, Kevin, I saw you take a picture of this last week, so that's why I brought the, oh, uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I brought the map. Thank you. Uh, again, give me five minutes. I like to recap, if at all possible. The nation of Israel is broken up into states. You have Judea, Samaria, and Galilee are the most well known. You've got Decapolis, where the demoniac was, which he crossed through the Sea of Galilee. And that's where he met him. Uh, but primarily, Judea, Samaria, and Galilee are the states. Judea had a different governor than Samaria and Galilee. Samaria and Galilee had the same governor, son of Herod. Or, yeah, yeah, Herod. And another son of Herod was over Judea until he messed up. And then they put Pilate in, in his place. And Pilate was not a son of Herod. Herod was a Jewish national. Pro. Can I never say this word? I think I have it written down somewhere. It's right, right up here somewhere. Yeah, maybe not. Pro. Procreator, procreator. What's the word I'm looking for? Governor is really what it means. So Pilate was, uh, or Herod was, a, a Jewish national that was the governor over all of Israel until he died. Then it was broken up to his sons, and then Pilate was eventually the overseer of the state of Judea. So, Capernaum, Nazareth, Nain, Cana are cities within the state of Galilee. Bethlehem, Jerusalem, Bethany, Jericho are 
are cities within the state of Judea. Samaria is not talked about a whole lot, uh, not favorably anyway in the Bible. The only time that, and we didn't talk about this last week, but there's one time in John chapter 4, Jesus, after he's baptized in, in the Jordan River down here, but, but Jericho, he told, he told his disciples, and we had five or so at the time, he said, I've got to go through Samaria. When he went through Samaria, John verse 4, he stopped in Samaria. Usually, people went around Samaria. He went through Samaria. So when you hear him say, I must go through Samaria, that was unusual. He had an appointment with the woman at the well, who was in Samaria. He met with her there. That, I taught the life of Christ uh, several years ago, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll do this in like three lessons. It took a year and a half to get through. The woman at the well took three weeks. I couldn't believe it, just because it was interactive, but it was just so mind-blowing and eye-opening what happened at that, at that uh, well in Samaria. But anyway, I tend to chase squirrels, sorry. <laughs> Augustus was the first emperor, Tiberius was the emperor when we, uh, with the time period we're talking about now. I'm going to skip that. Uh, Acts chapter 1. Verses 1 through 3, Jesus spends 40 days with his disciples after his resurrection. So he's, he's crucified on what day, what feast, Sharona? Passover. Passover. So he's crucified on Passover. He's dead three days and then spends 40 days with his disciples, showing them many infallible proofs, speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Then we got to verses 4 and 5. And he, being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the promise, which say, Ye, you've heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Luke chapter 24. So we're backing up a little bit. And this is where I kind of left off last week. I didn't get to this. But Luke 24, verse 46. Verse 45 says, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scripture. Understanding is huge. That's why we're here tonight. Not just know it, but understand it. He said unto them, Thus it is written, And thus it behoove Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. This is Jesus' words to his disciples. During that 40-day span, he told him this. And he said, you're witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise. So he's telling about the promise. Then right before he goes away, he says, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise. So when they go to the upper room, they're waiting for the promise. I send the promise of my Father upon you. Cherry you in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Come on in. Grab some uh, printouts. Now I'm going to pause for just a second. If you have your Bible, you know we jump from Acts chapter 1 verse 5 to Acts chapter 1 8. So there, there's a couple verses in the middle there. Verse 6. I just think verse 6 is a curious verse. And I'm going to stop real quick. Pronouns I gave you. This one right here. This one right here. It's uh, cross-references, Acts 1 and Acts 2. I, all I did with that, I just grabbed my Bible and looked at my Bible and wrote 
down every cross-reference I had from Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. If I were to ever lose my Bible, I, I don't know. If I were to lose my Bible, it would be devastating to me. I lost it. I lost one, didn't I? Several years ago, I set it on the roof of my car after church, and you never saw it. It was several years ago. It was right after we got married, so we've been married 30 years. <laughs> set it on the roof of my car, lost it. I was devastated. So I've got this new Bible. It's new, it's 30 years old, but it's, it's still my new Bible. But I have cross-references written all over the place in my Bible. Uh, I would encourage you, you get your Bible tonight. I, I know people don't like to mark up their Bible. I find it an invaluable source to write in your Bible. Now, Kira made me aware, and I had no idea that on the, the electronic versions, you can make notes mm -hmm. on the verses and then circles it. I've made notes on verses, but I didn't really realize what my indicator was that I had a note on there, but she said it puts a little circle around the verse, so now I know. But these cross-references are invaluable, at least to me. And so I didn't know if you would find them valuable, but I threw them in there, Acts chapter 1 and 2. Anything I had written down next to a verse, I gave you the scripture reference. You can look them up on your own and have fun with it. But uh, it's, that's what it's there for, just for you to uh, enjoy and reap the fruits of 30 years of me taking notes in my Bible. Uh, it, it can get a little out of hand. I've got John chapter 1. There are so many on there that they're even hard for me to read right now. But Acts isn't quite that bad yet. But verse um, 6 of Acts chapter 1. Somebody read that. We're not going to talk about it in depth, but just somebody read that real quick. Because I think it's interesting. Jesus is he's, he's about to ascend. He's getting, getting ready to give his last words in 7 and 8. He, he tells the disciples, go and tarry until you get the promise. And what do the disciples say? Verse 6, he said? Yeah. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel or restore our kingdom? <laughs> so their big question was, is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom? They still, after all of this time, still were holding on to the hope that the nation of Israel was going to be restored to a a sovereign nation by itself because since 585 BC it had not been a nation so at this time a little over 600 years it had not been a nation self-governed it was all governed by somebody else and they're saying hey is this the time you're talking about the kingdom and we're looking for a Messiah and I believe without getting too far off track I believe the Pharisees we're also looking for that, mistakenly, somebody to come back and restore the kingdom and miss the fact that the kingdom of God is not, as he told the Pharisees in Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21, you can't see the kingdom of God. You can't go, oh, there it is, or here it is, because the kingdom of God is, is in you. The disciples, right before Jesus ascends, they're still holding on to that. I think this is a, a great story that happens at the Last Supper in the Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden, Garden of Gethsemane, right, right before they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, they're at the Last Supper, and Jesus says, let's go to the, to the garden. And the disciple, somebody, one of them says, 
But Jesus, he said, Jesus said, now it's time, it's time. And he said, but Jesus, we only have two swords. He knew something big was about ready to happen. But how do we do this with only two swords? Jesus said, two swords is enough. Obviously, Peter had one of the swords because when they got into the garden and the, uh, the centurions came to take Jesus, he pulls out that sword and chops to zero. So in my mind, you got this Peter, this trained warrior, knowing how to use the sword, man, just split that guy's ear right off. Probably not. He's a fisherman. He probably just took out the sword and just went, <laughs> And the guy, you know, Luckily, he didn't split his head. I, I was talking to a, to a friend of mine who's a pastor, and he said, I'd always envisioned this. When Peter pulled out the sword and went that way, the guy ducked like that and slid his ear off. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But, but Peter was ready for that kingdom fight to take place. And then it just almost blows your mind that here he is just about to descend or ascend into heaven, and that was on the mind of the disciples still. In the last spoken words of Jesus, last thing he says is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me both in. This is where you get your map out. Yes. <laughs> Jerusalem. Get that page. They got it here. You're going to be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem. City right there. And in? And in? Samaria. This is not a throwaway verse, y'all. This is probably way bigger than I ever imagined it when I was growing up. It's not you're just going to be witnesses unto me everywhere. You're going to be witnesses unto me in the city we're in, the city you live in, in the state that your city's in, in the adjoining state, to people you don't even like, not just in my city and in my state, but those people that I despise. I am commissioned to witness to them. Now, how can I witness to them if I despise them? And I'm going to stop there for a second and just let you chew on that. If you want, now's a good time to get some, some more McAllister's iced tea or maybe some, uh, I got zoo animal crackers, butternut, or nutter butters, rit, bits, help yourself. But how, how, how can you be a witness to the Sumerians? Oh yeah, he's not going to share with you. There's water and McAllister's sweet iced tea right there. And then, he says, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And he's given you power. We hit on this briefly last week. What do I need power for? I need power to do what I'm commissioned to do. Power is wasted if I'm just sitting on a seat in the church. That's pointless. Only powerful. 
but I will need power. And you'll see as we go through the book of Acts, they needed the power. It wasn't easy for them without the power. They didn't really understand the power at first. But he said, you shall, be in, you shall receive power from on high. And then in verses, I've got to find my notes here. 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, and 15 tells the story of Jesus going up to the top of Mount Olives. This is the pic picture of the Mount of Olives in today. Uh, nobody thought to take a picture back then. <laughs> have one. You just have to imagine that probably wasn't there. But that's where Jesus went to the top of the Mount of Olives and ascended and a cloud took him up and the angels addressed the crowd at that point. He said, why stand you gazing into heaven? This same Jesus is going to return in like manner as you have seen him go. Back up because I'm not ready for that quite yet. The rest of Acts chapter 1. The rest of Acts chapter 1. Verses 9 through 11, Jesus ascends from the Mount of Olives. Verse 12, they return to Jerusalem, which is a Sabbath day journey or a half mile. So they return a half mile journey. That's, that's the max you could go on the Sabbath day. We talked about this last week. There were lots of synagogues in the city of Jerusalem, places of Jewish worship, because you could only go a half mile journey. So that would mean you could only go a quarter mile one way and a quarter mile back. So there had to be a lot of synagogues in place to cover that city. It's estimated there were around 4,000 synagogues in Jerusalem at this time. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> and you, you read about Jesus went to the synagogue. Uh, I don't know. He probably had a home synagogue in Nazareth, but I don't know where these synagogues were, but they were pretty pretty frequent. They also served as schools, so synagogues were a, a, a gathering place. Verses 13 to 15 state that there were 120 people together. 120 people, 11 disciples made up part of that 120 people. So you had 120 people gathered in this upper room. So you had three days dead. He died on Passover, was dead three days, spent 40 days with with uh, disciples, and then you have this period now between that 43rd day and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. So 120 people gathered together. They didn't just sit there and pray the whole time because there was a business meeting that took place. They had 11 disciples. They needed to add one. They, they felt they did. I don't know why they felt they did. I, I can never... I, I, Anybody know? Any suggestions? Any thoughts? Why they felt like they needed to add 12? 12 seems to be a number that's prevalent in the Bible, along with 40 days and 400 years. There are themes that repeat. Anyway, they felt that 11 wasn't enough, so they, they decided that they wanted a 12th, and they nominated two candidates. One guy had a long name, but his surname was Justice. Other was Matthias, and they 
cast lots, the lots fell on Matthias. I don't know what that meant, casting lots. I don't know. Short straw, long straw, secret vote, I don't know. Anybody ever made a, an important decision in your, in your life by casting lots or something similar? <laughs> Besides me? Have you ever done that? Like an important decision? I can take you to a spot. <laughs> the men's room at the McDonald's in McLean. <laughs> 25 years ago, I had to choose between, I'd been working at this job for two weeks. I had a job, I'd working two weeks, and I, I was in Springfield working, and I was on my way back. I had been offered a job at State Farm. And I had to let them know that day. I get, they gave me a couple days, so I had to let them know. This has to give you willies, just, think, just hearing this story, I'm sure. I went to the bathroom at McDonald's, McLean, and prayed in the men's room. And then I prayed and I flipped a coin. I said, God, I don't know what to do. This one or this one. Ed's a state farm. Tails as Pritz Enterprises. And it came up heads. I, I called State Farm and said, I'll take the job. I called Mr. Pritz and he was really mad at me. But I cast lots. I pray, man, I really prayed. I didn't, I didn't take it lightly. Honestly, I did not take it lightly. I prayed about it and I feel that God led that quarter. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't know what would happen if uh, I'd gone the other way. Now, I'm not recommending that as your. Decision tool, but at the time in my life, that seemed like I, did, I just did not know. I didn't know. Uh, one job paid more. The other job offered longer security. I went with the job that offered longer security, and, and I feel like God had blessed that. But I'm not alone. They did this for Matthias and, and uh, Justice, too, and they picked Matthias. Yes? Um. I just went back and reread chapter one, and it says um, he understood Psalms is why they chose somebody. He said he understood what Psalm that Psalms applied to Judas, and he says, "And let his bishopric let another take." So we knew that somebody would fulfill that position. Very good point, because I've read that. Okay. Never registered. Okay. Yes. That's what that means. And that's he's, what he's going to understand Joel too. So he's 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 starting to understand these Old Testament scriptures and what they mean. When you say he, you're talking about Peter. Peter. Hmm. This is why I love that kind of thing. I didn't know that. I don't want to just stand up here and disseminate information. I want to learn too. So if you know stuff that we're not talking about, bring it on. We'll try to get through the second chapter. If we don't. As long as we walk out of here with more understanding, that is a good thing. Thank you. I will say this. I've learned some things in my life. If you ever have to start a sentence with, maybe I shouldn't say this, but don't say it. Okay? Cool. And if you're ever, if you're ever uh, moderating a discussion and somebody says, I probably shouldn't say this, but stop, just stop and stop the whole thing. And go, hey, but <laughs> just things we learn as we go on in life that you can put in your toolbox. 
Alright, they replaced Judas with Matthias. And Judas had hung himself. Acts chapter 1 describes it, that his, he fell and his bowels opened up. And I thought, wait a minute, I thought he hung himself. Uh, so that scripture reference I gave you on, that, on the cross reference, there's another scripture, scripture reference. What is that there, Brother Kevin? Can you see it? Next to Acts chapter 1, verse 20-something. Chapter 1? Yeah. There. Acts 1.18. Matthew 20, verse 5. So Matthew 20, verse 5 describes that, that uh, Judas turned his money in and then went and hanged himself. Acts doesn't describe that, but what Acts lets us in on is that he must have hung himself and slipped the rope. That's what it looks like. Because it's a pretty graphic explanation of what happened to Judas in Acts chapter 20. Or 1 verse 18, Acts 18. 1 18. Spilled his intestines. What do you mean you split the rope? I slipped the rope. I'm, I'm just guessing he slipped out of the noose or something. Oh, okay. Did you say that? Yeah. 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 You want to describe that to us? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good picture. Pretty well stated. All right. Now, Acts chapter 2. day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. I'm going to slow down here, make sure everybody gets this. The Feast of Pentecost was how many days after Passover? 50. Penti. 50 days after the Feast of Passover. So, now you had Jesus died on Passover, spent three days in the grave, 40 days seen of his disciples, told them to go back. And so simple math tells us it was a seven-day period that they were waiting in that upper room for the promise while they were doing this um, electing of a new uh, disciple. I, I failed to mention I don't know if you, did you guys read the list of people that were in that upper room? Uh, it doesn't list all 120, but it lists some significant people, uh, including his mom and his brothers. The, the Bible doesn't say much about Jesus' brothers, but his brothers were there. Now, he did have one brother that wrote the book of um, James, brother of Jesus. That was not the James from um, the Mount of Transfiguration. Yes. Not that change. So on the day of Pentecost, you have 120 people gathered. Now I watched it. I do this because I'm curious. I, I looked at a, some other guy was teaching on the book of Acts, and I watched it. And he said, really, only people up there were the 11 disciples. That's what he said. Really, there was only, he said, then, oh, they added one, so there were only 12 disciples there on the day of Pentecost. How do you get that? And he also said that the Holy Ghost was just for this small group at this time. It wasn't for anybody else. I was like, this guy's a nut job, so <laughs> cross him off my list of people to influence my life. But that thought's out there. And so what I want to share with you the rest of tonight is, why all, why all of this in Acts chapter 2? Because people are going to question you, and I, I want us all to be able to go, 
Here's why I believe what I believe, not just, this is crazy. I can remember when I was in second grade on the bus. Second grade. Some girl was challenging me, fifth grader. I don't know why moments stick in your head like this, and I, why this one just popped into my head, but I've thought about it over the years of time. This fifth grader was challenging my, my uh, religion. She knew I was a second grader, and I quoted Acts 2.38 to her. That's all I knew. Second grader. That's all I knew. I don't remember. Nothing ever came out of that, but I do remember quoting Acts 2.38 and feeling anointed <laughs> as a seven-year-old. I got the Holy Ghost when I was seven. And I, I remember sharing them. Acts 2.38. But here's my fear. That a lot of people just know Acts 2.38 and don't understand Acts 2.38. Yeah. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. So we understand it. Not just being able to quote it, yeah. but understand what it means and, and why we do that. So, 50 days after the Feast of Passover, the day of Pentecost is fully come. We talked about this last week. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 uh, says... You, He's going, to enter, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. That was the word of John the Baptist. Acts chapter 1, verse 5. Jesus said, you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now, here we go. And when the day of Pentecost, the 50th day after Passover, when that day arrived. What's the Feast of Pentecost? All right. We'll, we'll get into it. Keep that in mind. When the celebration of the giving of the law was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting in their pit and their clothing tongues like I saw fire, and it set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is a, a passage of Scripture that we are all very very familiar with. They were filled with the Holy Ghost, began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Cloaking tongue like a fire set up on them. This goes right along with what John the Baptist had said. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Verse 5 says, They were dwelling in Jerusalem, devout men out of every nation. Why were they there? They were there for the feast of Pentecost. So it was a pilgrimage that many made. You came for, fat, uh, for Passover and stayed for the Feast of Pentecost. There's a lot to this, and I, I don't know how much I want to get into it. I don't have my watch on me. I have no idea what time it is. I didn't do that by design. 7:30. It's 7.30, so I have half hour. Okay. Um, we talked about this briefly last week. All of these men, women, had made this pilgrimage for the feast of Passover and Pentecost. They were from all over the world. Why were these men from all over the world there? Because of 585 B.C. when the Babylonians came in and, and decimated the nation of Israel and took captive the best and scattered people all over the world. Then it was the Persians, you had the Assyrians, you had Alexander the Great, and then the Romans. They, the nation of Israel had been decimated by war. During that 500 year span, or 400 year span between the Old and New Testament, 55 different nations, or, or 55 different times they were ruled, sometimes by the same nation, but 55 different times somebody else ruled the nation of Israel. It was just a hotbed 
of, uh, of conflict. And as a result, as you can imagine, people just dispersed. Jews dispersed all over the world. But they never forgot their Jewish heritage. So when they come back for these feasts, you had several there that were from all over the world for this feast of Pentecost now. And they see this happening. And they heard men speaking in their language, the language from the, the nation they were currently living in, glorifying God. I, for one, had never made that connection until just a couple years ago. Why were these men there? Why, why, why did they speak other languages? I, I hope that brings a little clarity to somebody here that, in understanding that these were the people that were there from dispersed Jews from all over the world. Said this last week, I'm going to say it again, because sometimes things just need to be said. When, when we look into the book of Acts later, and we'll get this in the next few weeks, when Paul goes to these other nations to spread the gospel to the Gentiles, he goes to the synagogue. First, his first stop is the synagogue. I never registered with me until just recently. What's the synagogue? It's a place of Jewish worship. This is where the Jews gathered from all these other nations. And that's where he started when he went to these cities. He would first start at the synagogue, at the Jewish places of worship. And he would share uh, Jesus. Now, that didn't always go over very well. That's why the Gentiles received it and the Jews didn't. That was always a problem, and still to this day is a problem. Now, I don't know what's going to happen when there's a great uh, revival of the Jewish nation. Jared, you could talk about that. If anybody wants to stay around and talk about that at 8 o'clock, Jared would be glad to disseminate that. He knows a lot more about it than I do. But there's going to be a great regathering of the Jewish people. Right now, Jews, and, they're not Christians, right? They're the followers of the Old Testament law. Still. Still. Okay. Peter gets up and begins to preach. He said in verse 13 first, what does this mean? We hear them speaking in our language, glorifying God. What does this mean? Peter stands up. Peter had been given the keys to the kingdom in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus said, here are the keys of the kingdom. And he opened it up right then to all of these people. He begins to preach. I think this is a, this is not a message that he had notes for, I don't believe. Just, he was anointed. You go back to his knowing the scripture. He, he stands up and says, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Then he goes on to quote Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. This is what was prophesied about. Then he says, This Jesus who you just crucified, you knew there was something different about him because he did miracles. Acts chapter 2, 22 said, you know that he wasn't an ordinary guy because he did miracles. Miracles had not been done since Elijah and Elisha, and prior to him, prior to them, Moses. You know, man had done miracles. God had done miracles, grand miracles, but at the hand of a man, where a man was 
the vehicle that God used for miracles hadn't happened since Elijah and Elisha. And here Jesus did miracles, and that's what drew them to him. And here's Peter reiterating that, said, you knew he was of God. You saw the miracles. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of flying through this Acts chapter 2 message. You can read it. But he said, you used the Romans to kill him. You couldn't even do it yourself. You used Romans to kill him. And God raised him up. Verse 43, or 33 says, He's ascended and given to us his spirit, which you have witnessed today. This Jesus, who you crucified, is both Lord and Christ. During this message, Peter quotes Joel 2, 28-32, he quotes Psalms 16, 8 through 11, and he quotes Psalms 110, verse 1. So he quotes Old Testament scripture throughout this message that he's given. And he concludes it and says, This Jesus who you crucified is Lord and Christ. In verse 37, these men were pricked in their hearts. You have to read this verse like this. They were pricked in their hearts. They were devastated. They weren't just curious. They were devastated right. and said, what can we do? That's when Peter said, here's what you do. Repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Let's stop us. You almost made it all the way through Acts chapter 2. Here is a piece, and I'm going to give you my notes on this. I've got them, but I want to talk through them real quick. The Old Testament. 39 books of the Old Testament, or Old Covenant. 39 books. Look up the word testament in your dictionary. You'll see optional word, covenant. Old Testament, Old Covenant. That's what it that's what it encompasses. Old Testament talks about the Old Covenant. The issue at hand that the Old Testament or the Old Covenant addresses is wickedness, evil, and violence. When the earth was destroyed, I've had Sunday school teachers tell me that it was destroyed because of sin. Well, that's not the case, technically. Because Romans chapter uh, 5 verse 13 says, without the law, there is no sin. There's, sin is not imputed or taken into account when there's no law. There was no law at the time of the flood. It was just, the Bible says, men were wicked and evil and violent continually. So technically, it wasn't sin. Sin, but not technically sin because it didn't break any law at that time. There was no law. The law didn't come until after the, the children of Israel had left Egypt in bondage. So there was no law. God destroyed the earth because of the sin nature that had taken over. When that sin nature that caused uh, Cain to kill Abel ex expanded to the entire population except for one righteous man by the name of Noah, can you imagine people just doing whatever they wanted? We've seen a little, we've seen snippets of that in our day to day. Yeah. 
where people just do whatever they want. There's no uh, impunity. I'm not, the law doesn't imply to me. I can do whatever I want. So we, when we see that kind of thing take place, it's chaos, right? Can you imagine what it would be like if there was no law and people did what they wanted? The chaos that would ensue. So that was the issue that was at hand. You had Noah, and then Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, 400 years of bondage. 400 years. 400 years. That's a long time that these people were in Egypt until Moses is raised. When Moses is raised, he introduces these people to a God he didn't even know. I'm going to challenge some theologies a little bit probably. Because I always thought, well, the children of Israel were God-fearing people. They were, they were people who loved God. They really didn't know much about God. 400 years is a long time for you to try to sustain a relationship on something that happened with our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Many, many years. 400 years. United States, we've been a nation now for, what, 230 Think about that 230 since we signed the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> Add on 170 more years to where we're, from where we're at today, you're, you lose a lot of context. They knew about him, but there was no relationship with the children of Israel. When Moses is introduced on that mountain, God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He introduced himself. And then had to show him his power. Moses said, I, I can't just go back there and tell these people to follow me. And God said, here's what's going to happen. You're going to go back there and I'm going to show you. I'm going to start doing some miracles through you. You'll get their attention. When they left Egypt, I'm going to fast forward just briefly and come back. When they left Egypt and they came to the Red Sea, this will make so much sense to those of you that have heard this story your whole life. Moses told, or God told Moses to tell the people, Stand still and see the salvation of this God. You don't have to fight. All you have to do is learn about this God you're about to serve on the other side of this Red Sea. He introduced himself. And I think I've always been kind of quick to judge the children of Israel. They had 400 years of Egyptian culture in their hearts, in their minds. Mm -hmm. You don't believe me? Do you believe me? I'm going to take just a step further because this is an understanding is huge. When Moses went up into the mountain on Mount Sinai, what happened while he was up there? He made a golden calf to worship. Why? Because that he was taking too long and they couldn't wait any longer. And what were they used to? <laughs> That's what they were used to. That, that, that was natural to them. The Ten Commandments. Here comes Moses coming down the mountain with his scrolls. Anybody know what the first commandment is? Thou shalt have no other, no, other no other God before me. Number two, don't make any graven image. 
He, knew what, he knows what he's dealing with, the mindset and the culture that had in, been embedded in their minds for all of those years. And they, they reverted right back to it 50 days after they were gone. It just reverted right back to what they knew and were comfortable with. And we can't be quick to judge them because that's really all they knew. Yeah. They're just learning about this guy. So that's why the law came into place. But let me back up to Passover now. I'm going to get back to my story. I just think this is so interesting. You bored, Kevin? Nope. Okay, good. No, All right. All right. So Passover, the last of the ten plagues, they had to take a lamb, a spotless lamb, and apply the blood over the door. And God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The plague fell on the Egyptians, and the firstborn was killed. Not just children, even animals. So, I mean, it went waited. Because of the blood that was applied, they were, they were allowed to skip the plague and then were freed from 400 years of bondage. When the blood was applied, they were set free from bondage. They took a small, short journey to the Red Sea. When they got to the Red Sea, <laughs> there's water in front. I'm going to face the same way you guys. Water in front, mountain here, mountain here. And that thing that they had fled is coming after them. God told Moses, hold your, hold your rod up. The water parted. Children of Israel walked through it. And when they got on the other side, that thing that they had fled began to pursue them. But it was swallowed up by the water. But that thought, a few days later, 50 days after Passover, Moses comes down the mountain with the law of God. You had served yourself. It's on Moses right now. You served yourself. You served Egypt. You know all you know is Egypt. We're going to start a new relationship. And in this new relationship, here are the laws I'm giving you. And if you obey these laws, you're going to be bountifully blessed. If you don't, there will be cursings that will come upon you because of the sin nature you have. You're going to find yourself in a bad place if you don't follow these laws that this new God is implementing. That, that was the entire Old Testament. They followed all that stuff. I think I gave you a scripture reference in... That's in Exodus chapter 20, by the way. So Exodus, I skipped off my notes. Passover is Exodus 12. Red Seas, Exodus 14. The law is given Exodus chapter 20 and 21. 613 laws. 613 laws. There are 10 moral laws that you know. 10 commandments. There are many civil laws and many ceremonial laws. What time is it, Brother Pat? 7.49. Okay, got to get moving. All right. Uh, then the Old Testament covenant said if you will follow this. We're going. There is a period of time in that Old Testament that these 
the two prophets spoke. It's Ezekiel 11, 18 and 20. I hope I gave this to you. You're going to have this. I'm going to give you the all copy of this. Anyway, Ezekiel 11, 18 and 20. Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27. And Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. All three prophecies say the exact same thing. When you left bondage, I gave you a law. That law was our covenant. But there will come a time where I'm going to put that law inside of you and cause you to walk in my statutes and keep my judgments. No longer, it says, will they have to be laws that are written down. It will be in your heart. That was the prophecies of Ezekiel and Jeremiah. Now, Sharona, when was Jesus crucified? On Friday. On the, the Feast of Passover. The Feast of Passover. The Feast of Passover. When we're celebrating what? Passover? Blood. The blood. The blood applied. We're celebrating that deliverance. Yes. The blood's applied. We're celebrating. That's when Jesus was crucified. What is... Well, I don't... Here's what John 1.29 says. John the Baptist is baptizing and he's introducing... He sees Jesus walking down the road and he stops everything and he says, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He didn't say, Behold the King... He said, Behold the Lamb of God. And that Lamb of God was crucified on Passover. Fifty days after Passover, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, and we're celebrating what? Um, Pentecost. The giving, of, the, the giving of the law. That law that was written down, the, 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 the law that we had to read about, the law that the prophet said would, would be written in my heart. Fifty days, we're celebrating the Feast of Pentecost, the law. And the Spirit of God comes and fills the hearts of men. Fifty days after Passover, a celebration of all. Passover lamb was slain. His spirit or his law is now written in the hearts of men. That's not a coincidence. It's when the day of Pentecost was fully come. I just thought, well, I don't know, growing up, just Pentecost was a day. Well, it's, yeah. it's significant. Yeah. It's 50 days after Passover, and it is the celebration of the law being poured. Jesus chose that day to put his law in my heart. It's fantastic, isn't it? It is. Peter said, repent. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says, Without the shedding of blood is no repentance. That lamb was slain. He said, Be baptized in Jesus' name. You have your Bible there, Jared? Can you flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10? 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2. Read it real loud. Read it with anointing. Here we go. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2. Yeah, read it, man. Blast it out there. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized. Stop! 
They passed through the sea, our fathers, this is Peter talking, our fathers passed through the Red Sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They were baptized in the Red Sea. Not only did he have Passover, they went through the water and 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us they were baptized through that Red Sea. Isn't that a cool scripture? I taught this in Hayworth, and I had this guy come up to me. He was in his late 70s. He said, I understand now why I need to be baptized. And was baptized. He died at Bill Corkball. Great guy. Great guy, but he still needs to be baptized. Yes. This is eye-opening to me. Look at that story from the bondage. They left bondage. And that thing that they had left tried to chase them but could not get through the water. The water is important. Mm -hmm. Don't think baptism is just as First Peter, First Peter chapter one or three, verses twenty and twenty-one, says it's not just a bath. That's what he says. It's not just a bath. It's a cleansing of conscience toward God. Baptism is important. It's not just a thing. It is. I, I, I wish Josh Linton was here because he told a story that I've never forgotten. He, he said once he, was, once he repented of his sins, he was even filled with the Holy Ghost before he got baptized. He said, I went back out and he said, I still had a problem with cussing. For a week, he got baptized. The next time he said, I haven't had it. It's just gone. It's gone. When, when you repent and flee, that thing is going to chase you. Baptism is important. It is important. Then he said, be filled with the Spirit. Why is that important? Because the Spirit is God in us. It's His law in my heart. I'm going to read, I'm going to read it in the NLT. So that's why I got my phone here. And I'm doing this in closing. One note, last note. I don't know what time it is, but it's got to be close. Holy Bible, 2 Corinthians. If you want to follow along, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. This is a huge scripture. You should have this scripture marked in your Bible or something. The only letter of recommendation, and I'm reading this in NLT again. The only letter of recommendation we need is you or you yourselves. 2 Corinthians what? 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2. 2 Corinthians 3, 2. Sorry. Your lives are a letter written in our heart. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Uh, one of the verses says, you're living epistles. You are now a letter from God. People are not going, not, not a lot of people are going to pick up the Bible and read it. Mm -hmm. You are the letter from God that people are going to read. You're a living Clearly, you are a letter from Christ, showing the result of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tables of stone, but on human hearts. We are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. Verse 6. He has enabled us to be ministers of his 
New covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death. But under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. The Old Testament told me what I cannot and should not do. That's what the law, the law put up some guardrails and said, do not, this is, this is important. I, I said this in closing, this is, this is huge. The, the Old Testament law put up guardrails for the people. It said, stay within these parameters. Stay within these parameters. The New Testament law, the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, meekness, patience. Long-suffering. Yeah. They're nine oh. That's the fruit of the Spirit. And he says, against such, there is no law. The, the fruit of the Spirit gives life. The Spirit gives life. The Old Testament law brought you, and there were penalties, some harsh penalties if you didn't stay within the guidelines. But the Spirit gives life. It teaches me what is right. The law taught me what was wrong. The Spirit teaches me what is right. And in Galatians chapter 5, you read Galatians chapter 5, it's fantastic. It, it, it clearly states this, and it talks about the gifts of the fruit of the Spirit, that if I'm walking after the Spirit, I don't need a law, because the Spirit guides me to do those things. Here, here's a great scripture in Romans chapter 2, verses 12, 13, and 14, Paul is writing to the Romans. And he says this about the Romans. They don't have the law. They're Romans. They're not Jews. They don't have the Old Testament law. But they do the things that are in the law because the Spirit guides them. So, those Old Testament written laws that were... We don't, we don't follow the Old Testament law. We're, we're citizens of the United States. We're not Jewish citizens. We follow our law. But there is a law that's greater than that law. It's the law of God that's written in my heart. It's written in my heart. And that is His Spirit. And that's essential. I need that Spirit. Can you be a good person without the Spirit of God? Sure. But you need the Spirit of God. You need the Spirit of God to guide all parts of your life. You need the Spirit of God. I heard this joke. You need the Spirit of God to go to Walmart. And it is, it is true. You need the Spirit of God to, when you're driving in a car. You need the Spirit of God to, to keep you in line and teach you what is right. And to be a living epistle to those around you. Acts chapter 2 concludes with... And they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine and Fellowship. They continued in the Apostles' Doctrine. What they had learned, they continued it. So 3,000 were, were saved that day, and, and they continued in that Apostles' Doctrine. I should have had that up. But here's a, and I, I'm done. But I just want to make this last point. They were in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7 
never leaves the confines of Jerusalem. Acts 1 through 7, that entire setting is in Jerusalem. What's Acts 1 8 say? Power to be witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea. Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. All right, I'm done. Any thoughts? Anybody want to share? Additions? Um, I'm sure you know that 3,000 were killed at the giving of the law, and 3,000 were added on the day No, of the I didn't make that connection. Yeah. You have the Old Testament scripture reference for that. Uh, it's, um, or can you, it's can where, you bring it? It's where um, they killed one another. You know, where the Levites come on this side. I need to write that down and add that to my notes. Oh, by the way, oh, no, they're not there. Here. Here are these notes. Here are my notes from that Acts chapter 2 if anybody wants them. Thank you. I just think this is, this understanding piece is huge. There, you give that to that other guy with you. You can do whatever you want with these. Sacred about them, but throw them away if you really know all that stuff. There you go. I'm going to look that up. Just another thank you for that. Any other tidbits for the Kevin? Do you have anything for us? Not tonight. For the Pat. Robin. She's always been quiet. Her entire life she's been quiet. I always wonder what she was thinking. <laughs> For the shoe? Good. All right. Sure. Sure. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity again to break your word. Let us walk out of here tonight with understanding and with the power that you have put in us. I pray that you will give us a boldness to use that power to reach the world and replace us in Jesus' name.